Amen. Y'all know y'all set back down too quick. Are y'all tired? Is this new year already getting you? Come on, let's stand. Happy New Year. Happy new year. Amen. We had a great time in here uh, Wednesday night. We did our uh, dinner and Bible study. I hope you'll take advantage of those. First Wednesday of each month, uh, come at 6.30 if you can uh, for the, a meal. And then at 7, we come in here and, and uh, do an, what we're calling an informal, I guess, Bible study. We're trying to respond to your questions. Uh, I'm not a question and answer guy, but I will respond to questions, even if the response is I don't know. Everybody good with that? And, uh, but we had a, just a great uh, time together Wednesday night. I encourage you to be at our next one in February. Uh, seems weird to be saying February, doesn't it? Uh, today I want to, uh, we just, I told Johanna to, and I want to pray for several of our people. Johanna is not here today. She's not feeling well at all and unable to be here. Uh, Linda Wood, uh, one of our precious ladies, uh, uh, needs prayer, healing, recovery in her body, and uh, huh? She's watching. Hey, Linda, uh, and uh, we we love her. Got to go to the hospital, be with her the other day. Uh, Connie Powell's back there. Hey, Miss Connie, wait. Uh, the Lord has. Uh, I'm telling you, I was so shocked Wednesday night. She was just moving. I didn't even expect to see her, and uh, she's gone from not being able to hardly even walk. Or do anything, and there she is walking. I told her Wednesday night, I said, you're so spry and running around. The Lord has granted healing and recovery for her. And, and uh, man, we are, we're, I was so blessed to, to see her because she's been on a little journey here these last few months. And uh, I'm so glad to see her uh, out and about. She said, she told the doctor, you got to release me where I can get back to work. And she's driving again and doing her, doing her thing, and that's wonderful. Um, Mike Hardy got transferred to Gainesville, Marta's uh, husband, you know, our precious people. So we want to, to continue to pray for Mike's recovery from that stroke and, uh, and just healing in his body uh, and, and just see him uh, set free and, and delivered. And I hope I'm not leaving anybody out if it is because I don't, I don't know who they are. I don't guess. Who? I can't understand. Okay, yeah. Uh, yep, Leroy Jack, uh, he's been in the hospital for quite a length of days, and so we want to pray for, for his recovery and healing. You know, the Bible said we'd lay hands on the sick and they shall what? Recover. And that's what we believe for. We believe for their absolute, total uh, recovery. So, Heavenly Father, thank you that you've already, before there was a thing called disease, you had made provision for our healing and our restoration. And so we declare, Lord God, a recovery for each of these today. In the mighty name of Jesus, we speak healing. We speak Jesus to them in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to let you be seated. God bless you. We're entitling this the Word of God and the Word of God. I hadn't even seen the, the title. Do we have a title uh, thing? We don't have a title page. All right, so you've got to imagine it. <clears throat> But I told her, I wanted the Word of God, capital W, and then the Word of God, and the Word of God with a small w. Uh, you know, we're spending time on Wednesday nights, of course, and, and uh, on the Word of God. And a lot of people, you know, they, they refer uh, to the Bible as 
the Word of God. Uh, it's not a malicious reference, but if you can, if you just listen, listen and hear me out today, because if you, you know, we've got almost to the point that you know, in when I was coming up in church, where we almost worshipped the Bible. Uh, we made the Bible the object, you know, to to study the Bible. Um, and and Jesus, you know, we're going to look in John five in a little bit, but Jesus made that clear. That's not that's not what the Bible is for. Uh, if somebody asked me, what's your favorite book in the whole New Testament? Uh, without any uh, consideration, I'd say the book of John. Uh, the book of John is the oldest chronological book in the whole New Testament. And a lot of people don't uh, know that or realize that. Um, John, uh, the disciple, of course, we're not talking about John the Baptist here, but John the disciple of Jesus, uh, he at the point that he wrote the book of John, he was an old, old man, probably close to 90 uh, years old. Uh, he had already been exiled to Patmos, where he had the revelation of Jesus, uh, and he wrote the book of Revelation from that island uh, called Patmos. Uh, they had tried to execute him by boiling him, but he would not boil. Uh, God supernaturally sustained him and kept him. And after being exiled on this kind of uh, rock of Al uh, Alcatraz for them in those days, this island called Patmos, as an old man, they saw him, uh, uh, you know, as maybe not being able to do any more harm, and they released him. And, uh, and so now, at this point, the writers of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are, have all died. Uh, they've all deceased. It's been 30 years uh, since they wrote Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And now, 30 years later, uh, it is church tradition in, in history uh, that uh, disciples of that day, uh, John's disciples, went to him and said, uh, uh, please, Apostle John, write down what God's been saying to you, what's showing you uh, before you leave this earth. And it is uh, reported historically that he, he went on a, uh, a three-day fast, told him he would fast and pray about it, and then after that, he agreed to write. And his gospel stands out, and that's why they call the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, because they're very similar. But when we get to the fourth gospel, you know, John could have said, we've already got three gospels, we don't need a fourth one. Three's a good, you know, trinity number, let's just leave it at that. But he didn't do that. He prayed and God inspired him to write, uh, to me, the greatest book in the whole New Testament. Because he begins in an amazing way. And we re reference it a lot around here. But he says, in the beginning was the what? The Word. And that's what I want to talk to you about. But he, in the beginning was the Word. And that's capital. That's a person. Now we know who, the, who is the Word. The Word is not a book. Even the Bible is not the Word of God. <clears throat> the Bible's not the Word of God. Jesus is the Word of God. If I was separated, you know, by distance for whatever reason from my wife, and while I'm gone, she writes me a lot of letters and puts sweet things in it and whatever, communication, uh, I would take great joy in reading those letters from her, okay? Uh, but once she arrives in person, I'm not going to sit there and read the letters. I'm going to be reading her. You know what I'm talking about? I'm going to be with her. 
You understand? The person. It's not about the letter. It's about the person. And so that's, that's the word of God. Now, I love John because he begins in the beginning was the word. The word was with. That's the little Greek word pros. means face to face. Turn towards. In the beginning was the word. The word was face to face with God. Now, we see two different things here. We see the word and we see God. And we see God and the word facing one another. What we see here is aspect, we see the Trinity. God is one God. It's an insult to refer to God as anything other than oneness. But God is three. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And if you miss that, you miss the possibility for love and relationship. If God has ever been just one single entity, one thing by himself, in his essence and who he is, then God is incapable of love and he is incapable of a relationship. In other words, if God is singular by himself, if God ever existed alone and there was none other person, then God is incapable of having love as an essence of who he is because they would, be, they would have been no one to love. And if God did love in that environment, then the only person he could love would be himself. And... Uh, that would make God narcissistic, right? A narcissist. And there's nothing more scarier to try to relate to somebody that loves nobody but themselves. Anybody ever had a little dose of that? And so that's not, that's not it. And if there's no other person, then how are you going to have a relationship because there's no one to have a relationship with? But, in the, but we see in Genesis that God is three triune. And God is speaking in that uh, vernacular, and God is saying, let us make man in our image. And God is speaking in that, and, and he's using our, and he's expressing the, the, the unity of God. And even in the garden, we see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I don't want to take too much time on that. But God is love. God doesn't have love. God doesn't do love. The essence of who God is is love. God is not love plus something else. God is not love, but he's also, no, God is love, period. God, God is love, and that's the way the early church saw that. That's the way we do it. The, everything that comes beyond that is, is an expression of that love. The gifts of the Holy Spirit that operates, 1 Corinthians 12, those are all expressions of God's love to humanity and to his church. That's why faith worketh by love. That's why all these things operate, because God is love. And, and God's love is just like the Bible's definition of love. It is not self-centered, self-focused. It is other-centered and other-focused. And God loves uh, the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And the Father and the Son love the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit loves the Father. And in that is the relationship of the triune God. That's why in the Bible you'll see those angels cry out, Holy, Holy Holy. Why don't they just say holy one time? Because they're, they're ascribing holy to, to each uh, personality of the Godhead. And, and you see that throughout the Bible. And by the way, the word holy does not mean what you and I uh, were told it meant. The word holy is, 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 is a word that was used to describe God. Holy God. And holy does not mean uh, just moral perfection. But holy means uh, set apart. In other words, God in his triuneness 
and in his uniqueness, there is nothing else in the universe like God. There is no love like this God. There is nothing else like God. And so the only word that they could, uh, that God would give us to express the, the uniqueness uh, is holy. But what we've done in the church is we've taken that word and we've made it some moral something. You know, and, you, and when the Bible tells you in the New Testament, be holy, it's not telling you that you can perform in such a way that you will finally achieve holiness. The Bible's clear, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. But holiness is a gift that is given to you from Father. Just like Paul said, righteousness is a gift. It's not your righteousness. Your righteousness and mine is filthy rags. But your righteousness was given to you as a gift. That's what Ephesians 4 says about holiness and righteousness. God, it says that when we're born again, we get true holiness, true righteousness. When we see that it's God's holiness. And when God tells you to be holy, he's not saying do holy. He said be what I've made you to be and gifted you to be. And live out of that revelation. And live holy because I'm holy and I've declared you holy. He says be righteous because I've declared you righteous. And it's not just an imputed righteousness. Can you imagine if we just have an imputed righteousness? Do you know what I mean by that? It's a righteousness that was just stamped on you. In other words, God's trying to kid himself. You're not really righteous, but I'll just look at you with these sunshades on and pretend you are. How are you going to relate to a real righteous God if you're not righteous? So it's not an imputed righteousness. God, you're righteous because God says you are, and God made you that way. When, you understand? It's his righteousness. How righteous are you? As righteous as he is. How holy are you? As holy as he is. Now, some, I'm going to say some things today that if people pull out excerpts of this, they can really do me some damage. So have at it. Uh, you know, on the front cover of your Bible, and listen, man, if you don't know me, you know, I mean, you don't know how much I love and honor and appreciate the, the Bible, the Word of God, okay? Uh, the people that produce the Bibles on the front cover of those leather binders, remember when you used to carry a Bible? Does anybody have a real Bible in here? Anybody? Oh, yeah, we got a few. Oh, glory. All these people are saved. The rest of us is lost as a goose. Oh. <laughs> uh, Oh, you know, my Bible's in this iPad now. And I like it because I got about 20 translations right in here. Pretty easy to tote. But on the outside of those Bibles, on the cover, it says Holy Bible. The Bible never describes itself that way. In fact, the word Bible is not in the Bible. You know that, right? Uh, and... If you can, the Bible's not holy, God's holy. Um, and when we're talking about, and I love John, because if, if John didn't write that book, can you just imagine with me how much we would have missed? We would not have John 3.16, for God so loved the world, you know. We wouldn't have that, because that's when Jesus was talking uh, with Nicodemus in John 3. And this religious leader comes to him. We wouldn't have the next chapter, John 4. We wouldn't have the woman at the well. Uh, who was radically changed just by this living water that she finally discovered who and what he was. <clears throat> we wouldn't have John 8, one of my favorite scenes, when Jesus is in the temple teaching and they drag a woman caught out of the bed of adultery and throw her at his feet and try to use the law, the old covenant, which was in the old covenant, 
It said that. It said that if you call it like that, and, and by the way, at that moment, the law was still in force because Jesus had not died yet. He had not been resurrected, and the new covenant had not gone into force. So we're still under law, and they knew it, and they throwed her at the feet of Jesus and said, the law says we should stone this woman, you know, execute her. What do you say? And, of course, Jesus knelt down and wrote on the ground. And you get preachers that don't know the Bible, and I don't mean that mean, but I just mean it. Just read it. Know what you're talking about if you're going to preach it. But it says in John 1 and 8 that he was in the temple. If you know anything about the temple, Herod's temple, it's one of the wonders of the world. That's where Jesus was in the temple. And Herod had grown to great lengths to remodel that temple and add to it and, and to, to you know, get, uh, gather the favor of the Jews that he was in charge of from Rome to oversee. And the floors in the temple were marble, a precious stone. And Jesus stooped down in the temple and took his finger and began, it said, to write or inscribe on the ground. Now, preachers, they preach it like what he wrote and all, like he's out in a dirt field somewhere. Just a, it's just a messed up mind. He's taking his finger, and he's got Jews watching him, and he takes his finger and he puts it on stone. You don't think that brought to remembrance to those Jews when God took his finger and put it on stone and wrote the law. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, how dare you try to teach me about the law when I'm the one that wrote it. And, they, and all they saw was rules and regulations, but they missed the God behind it. And that's why Jesus said, you without sin, you go ahead and throw the first one. I love the Bible said from the oldest to the youngest. Why do we need to know that? From the oldest to the youngest, they begin to drop those stones and leave the room. When you're young, you want everybody to get what they deserve. You know, it's all black and white. You know, just it's all, you know, rules, regulation, clear this and that, you in, you out and all that stuff. You, just, you don't know nothing. Talk to me after you're 50. I jokingly say you shouldn't even write a book if you're an author until you're 50 plus because you don't know nothing. I don't need somebody 20 years old writing a book on parenting that don't have no kids. Everybody knows what to do with kids until you have them. Boy, when I get my kids, I, they won't never act like this. Your kids will be hellions. <laughs> I used to think I knew what was going to happen when I had kids. If I was to write a book now, I, you know, I'd just say on parenting, well, here's a couple things you might want to try. God help you. <laughs> yeah, there's no five steps to proper parent. All that stuff is ridiculous. And, and, and so what was I talking about? <laughs> I got off on a rabbit trail. Oh, Jesus writing. Was that what I was talking about? Yeah, Jesus wrote. Okay, let's go on. <laughs> but Jesus, I love it when it, the oldest dropped the stones first because the, you realize that, man, yeah, I got, yeah, I, I ain't got it all. I, yeah, I'm, I'm out of here. What, what was I doing caught up with all this religious mob here to stone this woman? I got problems of my own. If I rock pile her, they'd be rock piling me if they find out my stuff. I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> 
And everybody left. And, Jesus, and the woman's just got her face to the dirt. She's expecting to be drug out sea limits like the, old, the law says, and stoned to death. And Jesus says, woman, where are your condemners? She lifts her head, looks around. She said, I, I, don't, I don't see any. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Now, we've got to get the order of that correct. God don't want you to sin, not because you're breaking a rule, but because you break, you're hurting yourself. He, he's your father. He loves you. So he, he gives her the power. You've got to understand, that's the power to live a life to go and sin no more. It's not knowing the rules. Knowing the rules have never helped me not break them. In fact, the Bible teaches the opposite. Knowing the rules is what caused you to break the rules. Don't touch the cookies, kids. We're going to have supper, and then you can have cookies. Get out of the room see what happens. They're going for the cookies because they didn't even know there was cookies in there until you told them. That's what Paul said. Paul said, I wouldn't even have never you know, struggle with covetousness until I knew the law said, thou shalt not covet. And he said, then it, the law illuminated, and it made sin exceedingly sinful, and I desired to do it. The law was never meant for people to live it. The law was meant to let you know you can't live it. And the one who lives is to come and live within you. So, or to awaken to the fact that he's in you is really it. That's why Paul said in Galatians that when it pleased the Lord to reveal Christ in me, not to me, Christ was already in me. He just didn't know it. And Christ is in you. And you may not know it. You say, he's in me. I'm a sinner. I'm a this. I'm a... It don't matter what you are. If Christ, if Christ ever really, if you understood and read the New Testament, if Christ ever did withdraw himself from you, you would have, you'd vaporize. Because the Bible says nothing can exist without him, and apart from him, nothing lives. <laughs> nothing. Nothing. It, 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 that's just what the Bible teaches. Nobody ever tells you that, though. Because they like having groups. These people are in. These people are out. If y'all want to be in like us, you got to pray the prayer. You got to, you know, got to do the religion. You got, anyway, that's another sermon. But I, I love Jesus's gift of no condemnation to this woman. Uh, I love uh, seeing the scene of Lazarus being raised from the dead. We wouldn't have that without the book of John. I love seeing this, the, the video of Peter who denied even knowing Jesus uh, when he was on trial being restored on that beach over breakfast that morning. I love that. I, I love how in John 19 that John is the only disciple that ever got it. And he came to a revelation while Jesus was on the cross. And he said, and he referred to himself, because John wrote John, of course, and John said, the disciple whom the Lord loved, standing there. And from that point to the end of, the, of, that, of his writing, John only refers to himself as a disciple whom the Lord loves. That is 180 from the way most Christians relate to God. Most churches train you. How many in here love the Lord? You know that thing, Jesus loves me this I know, Jesus loves me this we don't know. We don't know it. The love of God does not start with you. When the Revelation talks about that church that had, had left their first love, most preachers misquote that and say, lost your first love. You can't lose your first love because love ain't got nothing to do with you. It's God. It ain't for man so big God that he sent his only begotten son. It's for God so loved the world. Love originates, terminates with God because God is love. Um. Uh, 
Revelation talks about the word, Revelation 19 and 13. I'm just going to hit a couple, but it says that he was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. That's Jesus, and his name is called the Word of God. In, in Psalm 107 and verse 20, it says he sent his word and healed them. You think, he, you think that means a, did he send a book? Or do you think it meant he sent his son? He sent his son. Now, I love Scripture. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is given by inspiration. That means God has inspired it. Can I say this to you? If you just hear me today, because I'm not trying to do any disservice to the wonderful book that we call the Bible. I mean, I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to get you to see what, what Jesus says. Now, I hope today that God is inspiring me to preach to you. But if he don't, I'm toast. You see what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just... I'm, so I believe that God's inspiring me to, to preach to you today. Don't you hope he is? But I would say in my delivery of everything I'm going to say and do, I wouldn't think it's going to be perfect. Because I'm not perfect. I am perfect in my spirit, but in my performance... I'm not perfect. In my outward life, I'm not perfect. Christians love to say, well, I'm not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Well, and I, and I love to say, and it's true, only perfect people are going to heaven. Because that shocks the heaven out of religious people when they hear that. What? What? Because they think God grades on the curve. They think 70 is passing. I do my best and I leave God to rest. No, you don't, that, none of that's work. None of that's Bible. None of that's word. You got to make 100 to go to heaven. And, and God don't take, 99 don't work. So you can't be a good person. Good people don't go to heaven. Only perfect people go to heaven. Just because you love people, was nice, gave benevolently, and took care of people, and didn't kick dogs and, you know, roast cats, you, that don't mean you're going to heaven. Come on now. And people don't like that, and they don't like to hear that, because you go to most funerals, you know, it's all about morality and a good person, and I know the Lord took them in. Kind of deal. And that's not, that's, not, that's not it at all. So if you got to have a, you know, if it's, if it's really what Jesus said in Matthew 5, be ye perfect even as you're, and then he defined the level of perfection. He told those people in his first inaugural sermon, be perfect. <laughs> he didn't tell them do perfect. He said be perfect. And then he, said, then he defined the level of perfection, even as your heavenly father is perfect. So he said, in other words, you got to be as perfect as God. So if you know that you got to be as perfect as God, where are you going to get that from? If you need 100 on the test, you're going to have to get that from God because you're not going to pass this on your own. And by the way, it's going to be given to you free. You don't earn it. It's called grace, and it's a gift. All you have to do is believe. That's such good news right there. Um, all Scripture is given by God. For, by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It's wonderful. I love the Bible. Thank you, God, for the Bible. Thank you that we have a copy. I, uh, I see Andrea and my the family sitting back there. I remember one time when her husband, Jason, is he going to show up for lunch with us today or what's he doing? I'm going to get that head. But first time Jason was my youth pastor at Cornerstone, and first time we he uh, he had such a heart for uh, missions and stuff, and uh, still does. But we sent him to he wanted to go to China, so we we uh, 
we sent him, long story. But I remember he carried on two suitcases, uh, uh, and they flew into Beijing. But so in our, and it was just a, I just, it was a memorable day. I just remember the Sunday that we had two suitcases that he was going to tote into to China, and they were filled totally. He didn't have none of his personal possessions. They were just filled with Chinese Bibles. And, uh, and he lived out his carry-on, his backpack. And they, and they flew him in. And, of course, they have the option of checking them, and they could have got called, and he'd have had to come back to America, you know. But they made it through. And uh, he said what shocked him, I always remember he told me this when he got back, you know. He said, Pastor, the biggest thing that shocked me is when I went to those uh, home churches, everything underground in those, you know, they'd have hundreds of people just in these buildings. And, you know, the Chinese government at that time didn't want them doing none of that. And uh, there's a lot more liberty there today than there was then. But he said that they handed those uh, Bibles or the person that went to hand the Bibles and they started tearing out pages from the Bibles. Just ripping. Tearing. And they would hand a page and people, you know, going for the page. And, and, and they were like, what are you doing? And he said there were so many people and so few Bibles. Nobody got their own Bible. They just got a page out of it. And, he, and, and, the, and the guy that was over those Chinese churches said these people will live their whole life off of that one page. Could you live your whole life off of one page out of the Bible? Isn't that amazing? But that was their hunger for the, to know this God. But you know with one page, if you understand what I'm trying to tell you today, you'll get to know the real God. The Word of God. That one page will point you because the Bible, Jesus said himself that the whole New Testament is about me. So whatever page you hand to them, it's ultimately about Jesus, the Word of God. And so, you know, I love when Paul, these writers, Paul especially, and the others as well, but when these apostles would quote the Bible, they're not quoting the New Testament because they didn't have one. <laughs> there, it would be in, you know, road at that time, or would be later. So when, when you see Paul quoting Scripture, he's not quoting New Testament He's quoting Old Testament. And I see with most of these writers, when they quote the Old Testament, they're quoting it with the input of what they believe it meant. For example, Paul talks about the crucifixion of Jesus, and in Galatians 3.13, he, he quotes a scripture out of Deuteronomy 21.23. And in Deuteronomy 21.23, it says that... that, that uh, uh, anybody that's hanged on a tree, anybody that's hanged, like crucifixion, is cursed by God. The, the writer of the book of the Bible, of Deuteronomy, said if you're hanged, cursed is he who is hanged on a tree, they are cursed by God. Well, when Paul, by the time, you know, thousands, a couple thousand years go by, Paul knows that's not true. The writer of Deuteronomy is writing based on what he understands. It's still inspired. But you've you got to understand this about the Bible. God allowed people through inspiration to write things about him that were not true. Boy, y'all are stone quiet. For example, Job says, For the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's not true about God. Now, 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 people quote that like it's, that's the way God is. That's such a lie. If the Lord gives 
and then he takes away, that makes him a thief. Or at least a liar. Because he didn't really give. What if I gave you something? Then I come next week and take it away. Are you going to say, blessed be the name of Dale Young? For Dale giveth and Dale taketh away. No, you're going to be all on the phone, social media. I can't believe that, Pastor. He gave me this and he come a week later and took it. Can you believe what kind of man he is? I ain't never going back to that church. But you're just supposed to just swallow that with God. Well, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. The Lord gave me a baby. Now the Lord come and took my baby because he needed a flower for the bouquet table of heaven. You see all that stupid mess you hear in church? That's why I wrote the book entitled Miss Heard in Church. Because I, I grew up on that. Parents over there grieving, got a little bitty casket about this long, and said, the Lord, you know, the Lord don't never make a mistake. Don't question God. The Lord took your baby. He needed another angel in heaven. Your baby ain't never going to be no angel. And you ain't never going to be no angel. Because you're a higher created being than an angel. You're going to judge angels. You can't judge angels. A private can't judge a colonel. Your rank ain't high enough. Right? Paul said, don't you know that you're going you're to judge angels one day? What, what are you doing? That's another example. In Psalm, it says that we were created a little lower than the angels. In other words, men translated the Bible. You understand that? I said, do you understand men translated your King James Bible, your King New King James, your NIV, your NASB? Whatever translation you hold is a man's got his breath and fingerprints all over it. And once man touched it, the, the ideology of perfection went out the window. <laughs> and you have to read it with that in mind or you're going to get really confused. So when it says, when they got to the to part in Hebrew in Psalms where David said that we were created a little lower than Elohim. Elohim is the plurality for God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so when the translators saw that, they're like, ain't no way that's right. So the translators did not translate it like it was written in Hebrew. And they changed the word Elohim to the word angel, which is messenger. And they damaged the Bible. But if you read that, then you're running around quoting it like that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's not what it says. It says it, that you were created a little lower than Elohim. So there's you an example. You have a translation, but men got their breath and fingers on it. And if you're trying to look to a book, even the one you hold, as being infallible and without error, I'm sorry. Now that's quoted a lot by preachers that are trying to take a stand, and it sounds good and people cheer that, but it's just not accurate. And I'm dumb enough to tell you the truth. It's just not accurate. Uh, and so when Paul quotes Deuteronomy, and then where it says they're cursed by God, Paul leaves that out. In, in Galatians 3.13, he said, cursed to everyone who hangs on a tree. He don't say nothing about God's behind it, because he knows he isn't. He leaves it out on purpose. So he's quoting directly. Why did he misquote it? Because he quoted it with a more clearer understanding than whoever wrote Deuteronomy wrote. 
You understand there is a progression and a curve of revelation. And so we, we, we just don't understand it. You know, m most Christians, they speak of the Bible like, you know, it, it's just, you know, it's, it's just perfection all the way through. God's word is inspired. But, but, but I, listen, I, let me say it like this. I believe the Bible is, the inspired, is inspired by God. However, I also believe there is, listen to me, by design of substantial human component to the writing of the Bible, the editing of the Bible, the translating of the Bible, the preservation of the Bible, and the publishing of the Bible. Do you know that God didn't, Jesus didn't speak in red? There's no such thing. Uh, now, you may have heard food companies, some food companies, processed food company manufacturers sometimes, they put on their labeling, untouched by human hands. You, you, you've seen that. But the Bible has been touched by many, many human hands. And, and so uh, the, the, the Bible, God never intended that to be the, the focus. The, 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 the very moment the humans became involved, uh, then the absolute infallibility of it was out of the, out of the equation. Now, the, the Bible is a special written revelation of, of God. And, and he used many human authors, and they were inspired by God, uh, and, and they were in, endowed by their creator, who is God, to use their understanding, their creativity, their, their literary skills to share their insights and truth and, 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 and inspiration of what they understood at that moment. Now, now I, I, can, I can show you in the Bible, let me give you another example. Uh, in, uh, I was thinking about this one this morning, but in Second um, Samuel 24, um, verse 1, it's, it's talking about King David, and it says that the Lord, it says the anger of the, of the Lord was aroused against Israel, and, and it says He, God, He, the Lord, He moved... Uh, uh, David against them to go number Israel. Now God had told kings not to do that. And here I just read you a verse that said God is the one that was behind David doing it. God moved on him to do it. And then God punished him for it. God didn't really punish him for it, but that's how people look at it. So now we're here God moves on you to do something and then beats the hell out of you for doing it. Isn't that a good God? Let's give him praise. Come on, y'all. Listen, and that's what it says. This is the kind of stuff you got to get your head right, or it's going to mess you up. And then hundreds of years later, um, then we, we get over to who wrote uh, not First Samuel, but we get over to who wrote First uh, Chronicles. And then First Chronicles twenty one and one is talking about the very same deal. And it says, now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Now, which is it? Did God move on him to number Israel like it says? Or was it the devil? <laughs> Ooh, why can't I just get assignments that are easy, God? Give me three poems and a quote and get people saying, let's go eat chicken. How about that? Do you see, one verse says God was behind it. 
we get time goes by. We get whoever wrote uh, the First Chronicles, different author, and they say, no, God wasn't behind it at all. That was Satan. Satan is the one moved on David. Now, you get to pick which one you believe. I'm going with the second author on this one. Satan was behind that. And God wasn't punishing David, and, that, and a lot of damage was done when David did that. Because what, why God told him not to do that? Because if you're a king and you're going to go out and face an army based on the strength of your army, you're not trusting in God and your faith is not in God. Your faith is in numbers. Your faith is in what you can come up with. You don't even need God. You, you, you're working with this. And your focus is not on God. That's why God said don't do it. And David did it anyway, and then he, he suffered greatly for that. And But what do the old covenant writers do? They don't even know much about... You, you, you won't never find the word devil in the old covenant. Not one time. They understood Satan. They, they, they used the word Satan or enemy, but they didn't really understand much about him at all. So he didn't get much blame in the Old Testament because they didn't know really anything about him, and, and they blamed everything on God. That's why the, Job said stupid stuff like, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. He saw, he saw that God was behind it. God's doing this to me. But God wasn't doing it to him at all. Satan was doing it to him. But most people that read the book of Job, they think like Job is a big stumbling block book. I mean, if you, you can go to my, I think it's on my website. It's not my book, you know, daleyoung.net. And, and, I, and there's an there's a archived article, what about Job? And you read it and it explains that to you. What about Job? Well, what about Job is the poor translation of the book of Job. That's what about Job. And if you read it just at face value, how the English writes it, it looks like God's sick Satan on him. But God didn't do that at all. God identified to Job what was coming and tried to warn him. Uh, the, 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 you know, the, the written word of God reveals Jesus as the word of God. And, and, and he came to reveal the Father as God. Now, the, uh, in John 5... Verse 1, we, we got the story of an invalid man that is healed. And in, in this chapter, this man is paralyzed. He's lying on a mat. And, and it says, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, as you read on down the story, I've got to do this quick. But as you read on down, you'll find that Jesus is coming specifically on the Sabbath day. And he's going to heal this man like Jesus did many people on the Sabbath day, which is the law. And on the law day, you ain't supposed to do anything on the Sabbath. You, you know, you can't, you know, so many rules. But Jesus intentionally uh, healed people and had them do stuff that broke the law on the Sabbath just to rile up the religious people. I mean, there's no other explanation for it. He could have went. He had six other days he could have went to the pool of Bethesda. He chose to go on the Sabbath. And he goes there, and there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool, which is called Bethesda, having five porches. There, in these lay a great multitude of sick people. Now, if you're reading your Bible, right there is a period. that It ends there, the Scripture, as far as the Bible. What follows this is not in the Bible, but was put in there by translators. Doesn't make it evil, but it's put in there so the rest of verse 3 and all of verse 4 are not in the Bible. If you have an NIV Bible in your lap, you won't even see it in your NIV because they left it completely out. And if it's an NIV study, they'll put you a little asterisk there and tell you they left it out. The reason they left it out because it ain't in there. But the translators, which they, you know, it's no problem, they put it in there so that we would know why all these people hanging out at the pool. 
You know, they weren't there sunbathing or something. So they gave explanation, and, and, and it helps, I guess, in that way. But I just want you to know, as far as the, the Greek text goes, it ends when it says, in these lay a great multitude of sick people, and then it says, now a certain man was lying there. That's, that's how the Bible reads. But what they did, they added blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. King James says, troubling of the water. And then an angel went down at a certain time. Now, what they're telling you here is about a religious myth. An angel went down at a certain time, stirred the water, whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water was made well, and whatever disease he had. And this man had been in this condition with this infirmity 38 years, and Jesus saw the man lying there and knew he'd been in that condition a long time, and he said to him, do you want to be made well? Which seems like a stupid question. The sick man answered, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, but while I'm coming, somebody else beats me to the water. And so... When I read the, that passage, even for the first time, and knowing God as I do, I knew that was not true. I knew God don't operate like that. Well, it's in the, I don't care if it's in the Bible or not. That ain't how God heals people. It's not a contest. You've heard me say this a lot of times. Do you think God does it? you got all these lame, paralyzed, crippled people huddled around this pool. And all of a sudden, God's going to say, man, look at them down there. I feel so sorry for them. I tell you what, <clears throat> angel, go down there and make the water bubble, and that'll be like the starting pistol. And I tell you what we're going to do today. The first one that goes in going to win the lottery, and we'll heal that when the rest of them, you know, tough cookies try again later. All right, go, angel. Angel goes down. <laughs> And they're off. And the blind man, uh, lame man's coming up on the outside. The blind man's coming up on the inside. And we have the quadriplegic trying to drag his... And the healing goes to the paralyzed man. Sorry, all y'all, rest of y'all, try again later. Y'all think that's how God is? Do you think he heals that way? So I, I, have, I have one of my pastors many years ago, and he has an evangelist come. The evangelist goes to his church in a certain city. And I don't mean this mean, but I can't stand religion. And he goes down there to the Dollar General, and he buys one of them little blue pools, you know, they got out in the summertime, little plastic pools. He puts it right here in the center of the church. He fills it about half full of water. He preaches from this passage and tells everybody that God comes down and troubles the water, and he has all the people to run and take the shoes off. And if they, if they got enough faith to jump in the pool that God will touch them and he'll hit them with the Holy Ghost if they'll come to the pool. And man, people were taking their shoes off, that pastor said, and they was running down there and they'd get to that little, little pool and they'd have ushers on both sides so they didn't slip down and break, you know, and sue the church. And so they, they'd get up to the little pool and they'd step in the water, you know, and they'd, you know, water's troubled and they'd get in the Holy Ghost and And boy, you can have a big carnival show and it looks like you're having a time. And when I heard that, I, asked, I told that pastor, brother, come on now. Come on, brother. Not the evangelist. You can't tell evangelist nothing. No, I don't mean that. A lot of performance, a lot of show, a lot of silliness. If you, read, if you knew the Bible, that ain't how God heals. And there you're trying to duplicate it, replicate it, and tell the people that's how God's going to touch you because they come down there and jump in your dollar general pool. I mean, I ain't, I, I'm too old and too mean. Now, I ain't playing none of that mess no more. And you ain't going to do it in here, and I ain't going to go where you're doing it. 
I ain't doing that. Because that ain't my papa. That ain't how God heals. That, that ain't how he heals at all. And Jesus looks at this man and says, and, and a lot of people don't think that this is a weird deal with those you know, ignorant people because we've got a lot of religion and we've got things we look to other than Jesus to heal us. We do. There, there's people made the Bible like an idol. And they worship the Bible. And they would be incensed by what I've talked about even today. Well, I, I don't believe in the Bible. That guy said the Bible's not perfect. How are it going to be perfect if men are writing it? And that don't, that don't kill my... Do you know, you don't realize this stuff. This is true, I'm not making this up. A lot of first-year Bible students that's going to college to study theology, they drop out. They lose their faith. Why? Because they get in there five days a week studying the Bible, and they see all these indiscrepancies in there. And they, they begin to doubt. They just go, I don't even believe in God no more. That's not where it's supposed to be. My faith is not in 66 books. My faith is in Him, the Word. The Word of God. This book points me to the Word of God. And so when you go on down and, and keep reading through John 5, of course, Jesus says, man, do you want to be made well? Why would He ask Him that? Because He's looking to something other than the Word to be made well. He's, it's a myth. It's, it's just religion. It's, it's games. And it breaks Jesus' heart. This, this ain't the way my papa does it. Come on. Do you want to get made well? And, and this guy is so focused on the pool that he can't even reply without talking about the pool. He said, but I have nobody to put me in the pool. Jesus is standing there. God's standing there. He can't even see God. And he's standing there and he's asking, do you want to get well? And he's still focused on the pool. I ain't got nobody to put me in the pool. So, and when the water's trouble, somebody beats me down there. Jesus said, man, I ain't got nothing to do in the pool. That's religion. That's a myth. You're looking at the wrong thing. It's a person. He said, take up your bed and walk. Ooh, that was a religious violation. So the man, what does he do? He's immediately healed. He takes up his bed and he's walking on the Sabbath. As soon as the Jews saw him, they jumped on him. They didn't say, my God, you've been that guy that's been paralyzed for 38 years since you've been born. You've never walked in your life. Hallelujah. Let me hug you, brother. No, they cared more about the rules, regulations, and the status quo. And they start rebuking the guy and said, you know it's unlawful for you to tote your bed on the Sabbath. What are you doing? He said, well, that man that healed me told me to tote my bed. They said, well, who was that? They said, he was back there at that pool. I don't know who he was. So then he went, the guy, when he got healed, he wanted to do something he'd never been able to do. He went in the temple because if you was paralyzed or sick or lame, you couldn't go in the temple. And so you read on down, it said Jesus a little bit later found him in the temple. For the first time, that man in 38 years, for the first time in his life, he got to go into the Jewish temple. And he was in there enjoying it. And Jesus slipped up by him. And, and he said, listen. He said, you know, don't go and sin no more now, lest the worst thing come on you. It ain't like my papa's going to curse you. Whatever this man was involved in, whatever happened to him, you know, he, there was some involvement there. Jesus said, just don't live like that no more, okay? Don't do like that. I love you too much. So the Jews... You know, got in a big argument with Jesus. I ain't got time to go verse by verse. But I got in a big argument with Jesus. And, and Jesus said, he's my father. And, and they said, we want to kill you. They said, they want to kill him because he said he's not only did. They said, we want to kill him not only because he broke the Sabbath and commanded this guy to do it. <clears throat> but they said, he also said that God's his father, which makes him equal with God. And that's a death sentence. And Jesus said, let me tell you all something. He said, you search the scriptures because in them 
you think you have eternal life. But these scriptures speak of me, and you're not willing to come to me that you might have life. Jesus says, it's not about the scriptures. The word is standing in front of you. I was preaching revival many, many years ago in Alma, Georgia, at a Methodist church. You know, even Methodists like me. And I was preaching at a Methodist church, and it's very traditional. And I was preaching each night for a guy. And it's one of the churches where each night the pastor would, I'd turn the service back to him. Uh, he would have a brother or a deacon stand to give the benediction, and me and the pastor would walk down the center aisle, stand at this church. The church had about 200 people, and we would shake hands as the people. I was on one side of the vestibule, he was on the other, and people would pass by after the service each night, and they would shake their hands and say, I enjoyed it, pastor. Thank you, it was a great message. Hallelujah. And then some, like, they would just, you know, they just wouldn't say nothing. And, what, you know, you do. and I hate, personally, I hated all that. I just, anyway, but... That's their rules. That's how, that's how they rolled. That's what I did. The first night I was there, a guy come by, shook my, he grabbed my hand, this man, and he, looked, he didn't look happy at all. And uh, he said, well, preacher, you at least give me something to think about. I'm like, okay. One in every congregation. I love you. Move on, buddy. I mean, that's what I was thinking. Well, I found out later that guy didn't even go to church there. They had never seen him. They knew of him in the community, I think, but they didn't, he, he, he'd never been in their church. So the pastor wanted me to know, because he heard him say that to me, he wanted me to know that that guy is, that nut is not part of us. He's not one of our nuts. He's a foreign nut. He's, he doesn't, don't judge us based on him. And that's what the pastor told me that night. He said, he's not, he's not one of us. Okay, all right. And so the uh, pastor told me thinking bad of them. Second night comes by. Says something kind of rough, gruff, same thing. He didn't look like he was happy, but he was there. Hallelujah. Third night. I'm getting kind of tired of this guy. <laughs> Third night, he takes my hand and pulls me from the wall and says, I want to talk to you. Just like that. It's rough. I want to talk to you. And so he pulls me out, you know, off to the little hall. And he looks at me and he, you know, he said, I want to tell you something. He said, you know, you preach out this book. He said, I want to tell you something. A Playboy book does me more good than that Bible you're preaching from. I had never had nobody tell me that. Hmm. What do I say to that? He said, a Playboy book does me more good than that Bible. He said, I know all these people in here. He said, half of them a bunch of uh, hypocrites. And he just started telling me how many hypocrites was in there. And, you know, people like to do that. And they, they would just, he was just wearing them out, boy. Just sorry people, hypocrites, and they up there praising God, and they liar, and, and all that. And, and he said, I, I'd rather read the Playboy than I had that Bible. How do you respond to that? I said, sir, and I quoted him John 5. I said, I understand. And I can tell you, you're very intellectual, you're very analytical, you, you think things through. And, you know, and that's okay to some degree. But so that book is not the object. I said, that book points you to a person, and his name is Jesus. And I quoted him John 5. I said, Jesus talked to people one day, and he told them, he said, you search those scriptures because you think in them is where you find eternal life. He said, you're not going to find it in them. They point to where you find it, and that's a person, and his name's Jesus. And I said, all I'm trying to do, sir, is use that book to point you to him. He didn't say nothing else. He left 
He came back the next night. I was glad to see him. Now he's starting to be my buddy. I recognize him. I go, <laughs> so he's sitting out there the next night. When it came altar call time, he got up. And he came straight to the altar. And he knelt. I knelt in front of him and didn't say much at all. I said, it's just about him. And I just held his hand. Pastor come and knelt on the other side with me. And he said, this man, that night, he received Jesus into his heart, whatever, how people relate to that. He went home at 10.30, took his clothes off, got into bed, had a massive heart attack and died. Pastor called me the next morning. This was Thursday morning. Told me that he had died. And that his family had reached out because they had understood he had been going to church there all the week. And they even asked maybe that if I could preach his funeral. Uh, it, it shocked me. Why wouldn't it? This man died. Last words he heard me say to him was, these scriptures speak of Jesus. It's not about Playboy books. It's not even about Bibles. It's about a person. I don't know why he died and he had a heart attack. I don't know about none of that, and then God sure didn't kill him. But you, it pays to be patient with people when they talk to you. And even if they say stuff that offends you, like I'd rather read a Playboy book, I could have said, well, read it, you know, get out of my face or something. I'm, you know, don't talk. I mean, it's not I'm good, it's God's good in me. But I was there on a mission and a purpose. And it brings my heart such joy to know that that man believed Jesus. I wish he'd got to hang around. I like what he'd known about, you know, I'd like to have seen him Friday night and see what he thought about the service, you know. And, um, um, but everything I'm telling you about the Word, the Bible, the written Word, is to point us to the real Word of God, who is Jesus. And so this is how the Lord heals, not based on formulas and, and steps and, 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 and do this and do that or get this, the right person to pray for you or, or jump in a pool. The way the Lord heals is you put faith in him. And that's what Jesus showed us. He showed us that it's not about a Sabbath day. I am your Sabbath, and I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. And I can heal on any day that I bloody well please because I am the Sabbath. I am your rest. I am your healing. That's what the Lord showed us. And then when they grabbed that guy and said, you know, uh, uh, why are you carrying your bed? And he said, I, I was healed. They, and then the, the Pharisees, the Jews, they said this, who is this man that healed you? And so what, what this story does is it changes it from what heals you to who heals you. Who is this man? He is the second of the triune God. Not second in rank, but second in person. The word, and then beginning with the word, word with God, word was God. He's Jesus. He's the Christ. He, he, he's, the, he's the living word. He's the living water that flowed to that woman at the well. He is the revelation that John saw on Patmos. He, he's, he's, he's Emmanuel. He's God with us and God in us. We sung about it today. He's God for us. That's who he is. And it changes from what to who. 
And it changes your life and it changes your view. And now I can read the Bible and I can see those things. And it doesn't derail me because my faith is not trying to get a book to correlate and match and line up and everything to be perfect. When you read about the resurrection morning, one of the, one of the gospel writers said only one person, Mary, came to the well, I mean to the grave. And then another, one of the other writers says there was five or six women that came. Which is it? Yes. That's my answer, Yes. I, they, they, they do it different. Some of them said he ran into the tomb. The other one said he ran to the tomb and stopped. One of the disciples. I, I don't care. They're writing from their perspective and what they, you know, I, I was a paramedic for 20 years. If you've got four people standing on each corner of, the, of a red light intersection and they all witness a traffic accident, Todd knows this as a police officer. You go and ask those people as witnesses, eyewitnesses, describe to me the wreck. They're all going to give you four different wrecks. Four different wrecks. Because they're seeing it from their perspective and from where they're standing and from what they know. And that's the way it is with the writers. And I'm glad God decided to do it that way. And God, God's pretty confident in himself. And he let people like Job and different people not understand who he is and what he is and what and how, you know. And, and, but he knew that the ultimate revelation of who he is and what he is was going to be manifested in the manifestation of the incarnation of God himself in Christ Jesus. And so when they looked at Jesus and said, you show us the Father, he said, but you're looking at him. <laughs> when you have seen me, really seen me now, when you've really seen me, You've seen the Father. And I came to reveal you to the Father. This ain't about us dying and going to heaven. Jesus said, no man cometh to the Father except through me. This is about getting us back to the Father. Getting us back in relationship. Unbroken, unbridled. Loving relationship with the Father. Stand with me, please. God bless you people for putting up with me. I do love the Bible, the written word. Don't know what I'd do without it, man. It has really blessed my life. But what's blessed my life more than that written word is the living word that it introduced me to. And if you took my Bible and you took it away from me and I had no iPad, no, no, no Bible that I could read anymore, you cannot take the word from me. <laughs> you cannot take the word from me. There's people in nations that have never read the Bible, but they know Papa. They've never had their own copy. Because it says even nature itself reveals the glory of God, the Father to them. Nature itself. God is speaking in a lot of different ways to people on this earth to reveal His Father to them. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. God bless you. <clears throat> All right. Hey, if you want prayer, if you've never put your, your trust, your faith, your belief in him, do that right where you stand. Just, just do like that Philippian jailer when he asked the apostle Paul, what must I do to be saved? All Paul said, no religion. No, you got to say the prayer. You got to do this. You just real simple. The apostle Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus. You'll be saved. Just believe on him. And Paul said, you know what, don't end there. And also your whole household will eventually come to the Lord. Just believe on him. And you live what you believe. And if you believe on him, his life is in you. You awaken to that, and that darkness goes because he is light. 
and the entrance of his word brings light, brings revelation, brings illumination, and you start living out of that, and your life radically, radically changes. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for your word, the written word that reveals the living word. Let us see Jesus. Let us know that true life does not come in scriptures, but it comes in your son, Jesus. That these scriptures simply point and testify and speak of you. And let us, Lord, come to you that we may know eternal life, which is knowing you. We ask that and pray that and believe that in Christ's name. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. God bless you. We're up here. I'm up here if you want to have prayer for any reason. Just feel free to come. God bless you.